Welcome to the Just a Runners podcast. We're here to talk about all things running and racing on the Youngstown area's first running podcast. Here's your host and Youngstown Marathon Ambassador, Bruce McIntosh and Pico. Hello everybody, how's it going? Um, well, hopefully we're moving closer to the end of the pandemic. This is October 10th. I never thought we'd still be uh, dealing with everything and wearing masks at this point. So, but there are some live races starting to come back. Uh, there's a four-miler put on by, well, I know Second Soul's involved, uh, Second Soul Timing. Uh, Josh, who's, Josh Boggs, who I believe is going to be on here. I've asked him once or twice before, but we'll see. Hopefully we'll make it, but the Phantom four-miler considering it but i'm really not up for running a very hard serious four mile race so my other thought was maybe i'll wear a costume i have one i got an idea for one uh a while back and so possibility uh never did a race in a costume before so that could be fun and uh let's see it after that for a live race uh made in america half marathon it's done in maslin and i believe the second sold down in canton's helping put that one on uh it's a half marathon and on november 8th so i mean i want to look that one up if you want to look something longer than four miles or a 5k and there there's so many, a lot of virtual ones but i am uh didn't realize it until now but i am already signed up for the youngstown marathon's half I'll be doing the half. Uh, it, it, it did go virtual this year. Uh, that was their final decision. Uh, they couldn't get all the necessary permits. So they had, so I guess uh, do what you got to do. But uh, they are holding it virtually. Uh, you can run it anytime in the month of October. Found that out. Uh, and I do want to thank one of the reasons I get to do it is all the people that signed up before the coronavirus using my code. So that's part of the reason I was an ambassador. And I guess they're going to honor my uh, registration as an ambassador and let me uh, run it. So I'm good with that. So I'm going to go ahead and run that and get my 13.1 miles in. I'm not exactly sure when. I believe it was supposed to be on October 25th. I may actually just stick to the same day go down there and run <laughs> go out i could probably pretty much do most of the course the only part that would worry me is there's the opening stretch was on uh 224 so that might not be so great uh the traffic there can be bad but if i did a sunday morning it might not be too bad stay right to the side so Anyway, those are the only races I have on my agenda right now. Uh, two of them are definitely already on, signed up for. And uh, actually, I didn't even realize I was signed up. Got an email from Josh Boggs and asking if I wanted to uh, run it virtually or defer. And all things considered, I'm like, why defer? I'm hoping to be an ambassador next year. Uh, uh, that's bad. I don't, but, uh, see what happens. Uh, the, I like to keep things open because you never know what's going to come up and what you're going to want to run, but I'll probably be at Youngstown, uh, since I haven't missed it since it started and I've done different distances. I've done, always done the half, uh, one year I tried to do the full, so I guess I haven't done all of them. Um, last year I did not finish the marathon. Uh, my fault there uh guess i should have been better prepared and uh well that's another story but otherwise i've done the half twice and i've always liked it so i may don't know if i'm going to just go out and run that same their course or something or just do some loops to keep it flatter or whatever i don't know uh but that yeah that's pretty much my plan right now uh I know we have some plans with the group for somebody on the 24th, so uh, the running group. If anybody's out there looking for some people to run with, uh, I get on Facebook and search 
for me or uh, the, just a running group. You know, I'll be happy to put you in. And yeah, we had uh, five of us out there running today. Uh, we'll be more than happy. I, if you're worried about social distancing or anything, that's not a problem. We, You can keep your distance from everybody. I think when we're out running out inside, I, maybe I'm a little more relaxed, but I, I'm around most of these people enough. I'm not worried. So, and if you are a little worried, more than happy to, you can more, you know, just plenty of room out there. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, let's see here. I had an interview, which I'm going to play here in a couple, momentarily, with Brody Sharp. And he's from Australia. We, and we obviously, we, didn't, we recorded over Zoom. And uh, I found it enjoyable to talk to him. And he's a physiotherapist. I believe that's what he called it. Uh, that's similar to a physical therapist here. And we did a lot of talking, specializing in runners and runners' injuries. So we did a lot of talking about uh, running injuries and how to hopefully uh, get something out of this to help you avoid those injuries. And maybe we'll get them back someday. If anybody get any specific, he does have his own podcast, the uh, Run Smarter podcast. So if you will, if you like what you hear, you can get on there and get even more advice and maybe a little more in-depth than uh, on certain subjects than we could cover today. I'm, I'm sure we could have him back sometime. Uh, I'd actually like to do that. All right. Well, let's get on with the show. Yes. All right. Okay. Well, welcome to the Just Runners podcast. I'm here with Brody Sharp from Australia. How are you doing today, Brody? Or should I say for us, it's tomorrow there. Yeah. Yeah. The future <laughs> looks good. Um, yes. Thanks for having me on, Bruce. Um, yeah. Um, it's a pleasure. Thanks for the invite. And I'm excited to talk about uh, what we have today. Give us a little bit about your history real quick, and then we'll go into a few other things. Yeah, sure. Um, what do you do? I mean, are you a coach? In, uh, I remember you were telling me you are a... Uh, what was the exact wording? A physiotherapist. <laughs> it's a very long word that not a lot of people understand, especially in the States, because they people don't actually have physiotherapists in the States. They're called physical therapists. And it's a very similar um, career and very similar in terms of their characteristics. But um, we just have a different name for it. Not too sure why. But yeah, so um, I graduated in 2012 and decided to dive into private practice, physical therapy. And it was probably about two years into my career that I became a runner myself. And just after becoming a runner and getting the runners high and catching the bug, I started seeing a lot of injured runners in my clinic and just had a, a passion for treating runners. And I decided to do, because I had like a, a bigger passion with treating runners and it kind of brought out my better self then or my best self when it comes to practicing i wanted to um, spend more time around that population so i've now gone away from my employee role at a private practice and i'm now i have my own online clinic where i just see runners so i um, have that niche and yeah it's my goal to try and bring clarity and control to every runner and trying to try my best to educate as many runners as I can, the right steps that they need to take, the right steps that they need to do to um, uh, towards injury prevention. And then once symptoms arise or if they have an injury that's hard to overcome, trying to give them the right action steps and the right education to do that. So I do have a few avenues. I do have the Run Smarter podcast. I've had that going since the start of the year, which has um, been hugely successful educating runners on the right steps to take once they are injured or steps they can take through uh, for injury prevention in order to try and keep everything as evidence-based as I can. And yeah, just to provide as much clarity as I can. So I guess that's the, the little brief, um, the brief intro about me and about my mission. And um, yeah, so love to uh, educate your runners today. Great. Um, I always like to start off with a little warm up question, if you don't mind. And then we'll get into some more. Uh, what's your favorite way to have pizza? Your favorite place? Um, good question. And it's um, 
it, it is a good question because my brother and I, we mainly get pizza most weekends because <laughs> I live with my brother <laughs> at the moment. And um, we usually get Uber Eats these days because we're in lockdown. Melbourne's in lockdown pretty severely. So um, we get delivered to our house, so we can't really go out. But um, yeah. our favorite one at the moment is a Mediterranean lamb pizza, which has like a little bit of garlic sauce, a little bit of sour cream, um, like the bell peppers and lamb. It's, it's beautiful. Can I ask you a pizza question? Sure. So if you have leftover pizza the next day, do you have it cold or do you heat it up? Uh, lately, I've been heating it up. I did today because I actually had leftover pizza. Today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes I do eat it cold though. Okay. Yeah. Some people are usually one or the other. So I usually like to fire that question at people. Would you say that's, is Australia a little, uh, what am I saying? Uh, what's the word? Uh, compared to America, would you say your pizza is different than ours? Um, I uh, wouldn't say no, because there's a lot of, we have a lot of pizza places here and a lot of pizza places do things differently. I know you guys have like deep dish pizzas. We don't really have that here, but um, in terms of like the thin pizzas, then I think it would just depend on the actual store rather than the actual style. Um, but I have been to the States and I have had your pizza and it is very similar. Okay. I just wondered, you picked something that I hadn't heard before. Uh, yeah, that sure is very different. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get moving on into something more. Well, actually, many runners eat pizza. And yeah, we've talked about pizza for quite a long like, time. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the reasons I kind of came up with it. It's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, one of the things you were talking about is injuries. And obviously, uh, if you were dealing with somebody who's a regular has regular recurring injuries, I guess. How would you uh, deal with that or help them prevent that from happening? Or in yeah. general, the runners maybe? Well, it would depend on the individual, but if someone's constantly uh, getting injuries, different types of injuries, if they've overcome an injury and then another one arises, I would definitely question a few things. Uh, we do know that when it comes to injuries, the majority of the injuries that pe people get is due to training errors. So it's due to doing too much too soon or having a rapid change in how you're running. So that might be a rapid change in the style of shoes. It might be a rapid change in the terrain. It might be a rapid change in mileage or speed or technique or something or other. So if someone is currently injured and then has a history of injuries one after the other, after the other, I would definitely question their, um, their program. I definitely question the methods that they run. I definitely question um, how frequently how frequently they run and if they have any goals. If they are training for something at the moment, is it realistic? Are they having these huge spikes in load followed by plateaus of relative rest and trying to establish like a well-structured running program and starting with a, a mileage and starting with a dosage that they can handle and then slowly building up from there and allow the body to adapt um, so that's one thing if there's depending on the type of injury, which we can probably explore later on, um, there might be a few specific things with regards to their running technique or a few specific things with, with regards to their speed or their terrain, which we could tweak here and there to reduce the risk of that injury. Um, and also I'd maybe question their strength if they're quite a weak runner, but they're running at very high mileage with a very fast speed. Um, and thumping the ground quite hard if they're doing a lot of downhills yeah. and hitting the ground quite hard. Those tissues need to be able to tolerate the load you're putting it through. And so if it's constantly breaking down and constantly getting injured, we want to make sure that those structures, are, the, the individual structures themselves are strong enough to tolerate what you're putting it through. One thing with, uh, well, if you took somebody like me, I'm already 55, but mm -hmm. I have about, almost 20 or 16 17 years i've been running would there be anything special you do with somebody who's a little more little older or uh not, not ancient or anything yet, <laughs> but are you injured do you have any symptoms no not okay. right now um if we can say let's just say you 
come in and you have a calf or Achilles issue because that's very, very common for males above the age of 50 and those who have been running for quite a long time. Um, if that's happened, I would definitely um, suggest a few things. One would be to implement some strength training to the calf and the Achilles. And why we say that is because we know masters runners. So anyone above the age of 35, once you get into 35, 45, 55, and keep getting more advanced in age, the strength and the musculature of the calf and the Achilles starts to diminish. The amount of power that you get starts to diminish and your running style starts to become a little bit more of a shuffle. Your, your cadence increases, but your speed stays the same. Um, so your calf complex is constantly um, being deconditioned uh, because you're not introducing enough speed or enough power or enough strength. Um, so if someone does come in with an Achilles, uh, let's just say you've come into my clinic and you said, Brody, I've got sore Achilles. I'd say, okay, how long have you had it for? If you've had it for two weeks, I'd say, okay, prior to that two weeks, was there any major spike in load? What, did you start to do something that involved more hills? Did you change your shoes? Were you training for a marathon? Were you, um, was there any big spike? And if we can't identify any big spike, then we need to look at um, your general strength training history and try and get a gauge for how strong the Achilles and how strong the calf is and see if um, there are any strength deficits or power deficits. And if there are, then we need to address those because my goal is to keep people running, but really try and work on any weak links that they have. And if we've identified that you do have quite weak calves and weak Achilles, um, then we would build up that tolerance, would build up the capacity so that those Achilles are able to tolerate whatever you want to put it through, whether it be running a marathon or an ultra marathon, and then just work away from there. But it just depend on the type of injury um, that would change the approach. But every injury starts with identifying any spikes in training, because if there is a spike in training, then it could just be as simple as modifying your program and giving you a well-structured running program in order to um, continue at the, at the same mileage that you want. With the shoes. Um, I always have several pairs. Maybe my wife would say I have too many running shoes. Mm -hmm. I always felt that's better for you than like just one or two pair. Uh, doing a rotation. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, uh, that would, that would definitely depend. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions around shoes, which is what I like to educate my podcast listeners about as well. Um, it would depend on the runner. I, I swap out my shoes as well, but it also depends on the, the style of shoe. Uh, if they're all kind of like traditional shoes, um, then it wouldn't really matter, but someone might go from a minimalist shoe where there's less support to something with a little bit more of a heel raise to something with a little bit more support. Um, you've got the hawkers and the ones that offer like a really uh, rigid type of shoe that's um, offers a lot of support. So if someone's going from like one shoe to another, um, they need to be able to adapt to it. Like you've probably, if you have several types of shoes, you've probably adapted to all of those shoes. Uh, I'll ask, do you have like, is the style of shoe different? Are they different weights or different levels of support? I think they're all similar, you know, in style. Uh, I got a pretty neutral foot. I feel and I don't think there's a big difference. It's not like I've got a real big, uh, what should we call it? heavy cushioning and then going mm -hmm. to no cushion or anything like that. Uh, I try to stay pretty middle of the road neutral for me. Yeah. And that seems to be working for me. Uh, we could do a whole uh, episode on this topic, but I, I absolutely <laughs> love this topic because what I see quite often is people go from a standard shoe, like a real traditional running shoe. And then they're told that um, perhaps barefoot, running or minimalist shoe running is the best thing to do because it'll reduce your risk of injuries. That is false. But um, a lot of people oh. make that transition too quickly. And then they start developing like foot issues or stress fractures or um, plantar fasciitis, just because the demand that's required for the foot and ankle when you go to a minimalist shoe is so great. Um, like I do most of my running in minimalist shoes and I absolutely love them, but I've spent a lot of time building up the strength in my feet and the strength in my calves to handle that. 
And some people that just make a huge jump straight to minimalist shoes uh, can be at risk. But then on the other side with the really supportive shoes and sometimes the heavier style shoes, um, there's a lot more load that goes through the knee. So the load's taking away from the, the foot and ankle and the calf and Achilles and put into the knee and hip. So you might be at risk of knee and hip injuries if you make a rapid change in the other direction towards something that's a lot more supportive, a lot, uh, sometimes slightly heavier. Um, so yeah, we need to play around with that. We need to make sure we're making slow adjustments whenever we change our shoe style. If you're, if you go and buy new shoes, but it's exactly the same style as what you're used to, then you yeah. should be fine. But as a blanket statement, because this is another misconception that I like to address, um, when it comes to the type of shoe that's right for you, it doesn't matter on your foot shape. It doesn't matter what um, whether you're flat feet or high arch or um, what have you. What matters is what's what shoe is most comfortable for you. You shouldn't really go to a shoe store and they say, you have flat feet, you need this stability shoe, or you have high arches, you need this type of shoe. It, there's no correlation between foot shape and the type of shoe you need. What you need to um, establish is try a whole bunch of different shoes. What feels most comfortable for you is going to be the best one that fits you. The others don't really correlate in regards to performance or regards to injury prevention or yeah, reducing risk of injury. And um, I did actually interview a, a guy, um, JF Escoulier, who is a, a shoe um, guru. He's like the researcher um, who's in Canada actually, and had a massive interview around uh, what's the right type of shoe for you. And he debunks a lot of these myths, which was really, really encouraging and um, really informative for runners. Yeah. Most of that, I, I'm pretty good about keeping to one style, you know, uh, not brand, but one style of shoe with it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm not tempted by the minimalist, at least not right yeah. now. <laughs> this seems like I like to have that foot. Uh, what about doing different types of uh, surfaces? Because I've been doing a lot of road running every now and then. I like, we have some nice parks here to jump on trails and stuff like that. I haven't yeah. done as much as I used to as far as, uh, it's definitely good for variety because what we say, the majority of running injuries are due to training errors. They're usually overload injuries. So it's usually the repetitive nature of running, like thumping the ground one after the other at the same rate at the same um, technique over and over thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. That's when you get an overuse injury. But if you start mixing it up and you start going from road to trails, like with trails, sometimes there's a lot more change in direction, a lot more change in terrain. Your foot placement is a little bit different. Um, that variety can be very nice for a runner just to share, shift the load and share the load around different parts of the body so that can reduce the risk of injury. Um, so it's very encouraged that people try different types of running. Um, the overuse injuries are definitely more common in road running because the same technique is repeated over and over and over again. But in saying that, um, sometimes the trails are accompanied with up, uphill and downhill, a lot of uphill, a lot of downhill and repeating that quite often. And the demand for the body, once you go uphill, the demand for the calf and Achilles, it goes through the roof. When you go downhill, the amount of load that goes through the, the knees is quite a lot as well. Um, so you might, if you're not used to it, you're not slowly adapting to the trails and then you do a whole bunch of hill sessions, you might um, put yourself at risk of a, a, a spike in load, which might result in say an Achilles tendinopathy or might result in patellofemoral pain, which is just like kneecap pain and might result in those things as well. So I um, hope that made sense. No, it did. Uh Cause I know when I haven't run trails in a while and I'll go jump on them and, but you know, it's been months since I was on one I'll go jump on one the next day, my knees and ankles will hurt more than normal. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, a lot of road running, I'm, you know, if you just go out for easy run, I'm fine. Uh, I went on did some trails a little while ago and we were more or less hiking them anyways. 
and I was still hurting the next day. Just yeah. And that goes to show different. it's, it's a, um, you need to allow the body enough time to adapt. Like if you were to say, I want to hit the trails again, but instead of doing a 30 minute, 45 minute run, you do 15 minutes instead. And then the rest of it's just road what you're used to and you pull up a lot better, but then the, um, a couple of days later, when you hit the trails again, you do 25 minutes on the trails and then do the rest of your running on the road. And you're slowly doing more and more trail, less and less road. And then your body is adapting to what you're putting it through in a very gradual process, rather than just going from one spectrum to the other, um, where you have that huge shift where your body's like, what the hell are you doing to me? We haven't done this in such a long time. And it's along the same principles of like, if you go to a gym, and you haven't done a certain exercise for a long time. And then you do like, you do this exercise or you increase the weight or you increase the speed or intensity. The next day, your body's like, what the hell did you do to me? And you've got sore muscles and you know, you're hobbling around that, that similar thing. We want to allow enough time for the body to adapt. We want to allow enough time to, um, to slowly shift to what we want it to do. Okay. Uh, moving in back when you do see injuries, what are some of the most common runner's injuries that you deal with on? Uh, so if I was to work at a private practice and I was to get any runner coming in, the vast majority would be knee pain. And the vast majority of like that specific diagnosis would be patellofemoral pain, which is a fancy term just to, it's also called runner's knee, but it's a term that describes pain around the kneecap, like a very vague pain around the kneecap. Um, that's the most prevalent that I would see in clinics. Uh, when I'm doing my own online, um, when I'm working with my runners online, the vast majority of what I see here is a high hamstring tendinopathy and plantar fasciitis. And why those two are so prevalent is because they are the ones that tend to hang around and become quite chronic. So a runner that I will generally see online has one of these two conditions and they've had it for 12 months, 18 months, two years plus, um, sometimes up to three to four years because it does stick around and because it starts to disrupt life quite a lot. And if someone wants to try online physio, they've usually sourced out other options. They've usually exhausted other options. So they've seen two physical therapists before. They've seen a chiropractor. They've seen a doctor. They've um, had injections, shockwave, consulted with a surgeon, all this sort of stuff. And then they consider um, online physio as their next option, as almost like their last ditch effort. And I'm glad they found me because um, that's where they get results. But um, that's usually the people that I do see. Some of the other, about something like, uh, I know a few people were telling me they were dealing with plantar fasciitis. Yep. What would you recommend for them to uh Yeah, good question. Plantar fasciitis is a really, really tricky one. And it's one where I explain the concept of strength, the concept of like tolerating a certain capacity. But there is, a, have you had plantar fasciitis before? Just out of curiosity. Uh, maybe a little bit here and there. Uh, not really I've had it where I've had a few days where I get up and my foot's hurting and I have trouble walking it until it loosens up. Yeah. Uh, I do okay. tend to do the thing with the golf ball or a, I got a special ball. I roll it a couple of mm-hmm. maybe under my foot once or twice a week and I'm usually okay. Okay. Yeah. So, well, I guess you're one of the lucky ones, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're probably right. Like plantar fasciitis is characteristically, um, just underneath the heel and it's just underneath kind of like the inside of the heel, like towards the arch. And it's characteristically known for it's worse during your first few steps in the morning. Like usually if you step, wake up barefoot, you walk around, it's quite sore and stiff. And then it'll have a period of uh, warming up, loosening up, and then it's okay for the rest of the day. They're usually the signs, the very early signs, but then can get quite debilitating, quite irritable. If the, if you sort of push through and over months and months, it can get quite irritated. But to answer your, your first question around what we do with these people, um, it will depend on like establishing what level of strength they have in their feet and then working our way up from there. A lot of times you'll notice that a, a runner will get plantar fasciitis because of a spike in training load 
or they've changed their running shoes that maybe their shoes have less support and the demand for the shoe or the demand for the plantar fascia to control the foot um, goes up. There's a huge spike in that load and that demand. And then they start developing this, um, this type of plantar fasciitis, but you might notice, okay, let's say they can run five miles before plantar fasciitis symptoms come on. Then they might notice that after a week or so, they might rest it. They might try and ice it. They might try and um, roll the ball for like a week or two. And then they try and return straight back to running. And they'll notice that after four miles, the symptoms come on and they're like, oh, it's probably not ready. I probably need more rest. So they rest for another week and then they try and run again. It comes on at two miles and it's just like the, the time until the symptoms come on become less and less and less. And then they're trying to walk say for 45 minutes then pain comes on then they're standing for only half an hour and then pain comes on and what you're noticing is that the foot is becoming weaker and weaker and weaker because their attempt to try and uh, recover that injury is with complete rest and that's often uh, that's rarely the case that's rarely what you need to do because there's this concept that i like to call the pain rest weakness downward spiral and if someone has an injury, they like to rest it. Uh, but what the what the injury does when there is pain and there's sensitivity of those tissues, it actually makes the tissues weaker. It's let it's it can't stand um, the the current load that you're putting it through. So then it becomes sensitive, it becomes irritated, and it can't. It actually the structures weaken slightly. So if the structures weaken slightly, and you also add in complete rest that further weakens those structures so that when you go and return back to your existing running and symptoms flare up again, uh, the symptoms then become weaker and then you treat that with more rest. So it becomes weaker and then it just spirals down where it becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. And then all of a sudden after a couple of months, it takes very little, it might be walking for half an hour, it might be running for one mile then symptoms flare up because it's just so, so weak. And so what I like to do with my plantar fasciitis people is I like to establish, okay, where in this downward spiral are they? Where can we catch them and then start some strengthening as much as we can, start increasing the load through that Achilles that won't flare them up, start uh, increasing the load through the plantar fascia, which won't flare them up, and then slowly building our way back up that spiral and just trying to restore more function, restore more strength, and then slowly work our way out from there. You talk a lot about strength training. Not to, Definitely. <laughs> I don't have other injuries to uh, talk about, but uh, what type of strength training do you normally recommend? Um, <clears throat> good question. It would depend on the age, it would depend on the experience of the person, depend on their current level of strength. But <clears throat> there's a couple of generic um blanket statements that we can make for runners and to help with their performance and to help reduce their risk of injury. And the literature and the research is very clear on this. Um, especially when it comes to performance, runners need to establish at least uh, strength training twice a week. Twice a week is great because it, it allows you to build up strength, but doesn't interrupt your your running schedule too much because usually taking maybe one or two rest days and you're usually maybe combining a run day with a strength training session. You combine that in one day and it doesn't disrupt things too much. But if you are quite experienced with your running, uh, just your simple squats, your simple lunges, like a split squat or calf raises, uh, it doesn't need to be too technical, but these are the type of uh, exercises you want to do, but regards to the dosages and how heavy you should be lifting, the literature is very clear that you should be implementing some heavy exercises. We should be implementing something that gets your, your rep range around four sets of eight to 10, eight to 12 reps. So we're looking at quite heavy stuff um, rather than doing body weight exercises, rather than doing body weight squats or body weight, say single leg calf raises or body weight bridges. It doesn't really count as strength training when it comes to the benefits that runners can get. Um, so there was actually a really nice study that just um, was published last week, which looked at the benefits of plyometric training and 
heavy, slow strengthening exercises compared to body weight exercises and showed that all the benefits were received when people implemented plyometric exercises and really heavy exercises like weighted squats or weighted lunges, um, weighted walking lunges, those sort of things. Um, but I will stress, you do need to be experienced and you do need to have a good technique before you start increasing the weight because it's a bit dangerous if you're just slowly, oh, well, if you're new to squats and then you decide to pile on the weight, then you're in danger. But if you're new to gym, definitely start with body weight, definitely get used to the technique, get yeah. used to the movement. But once you feel capable and once you feel ready, then start slowly adding the weight because increasing the weight will start to, you'll start to receive better benefits for your running as opposed to body weight exercises. That makes sense. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I should say as well, the literature isn't clear on strength training to reduce your risk of injury. Um, all, the, all the researchers out there do say that you do need to implement some level of strength to reduce your risk of injury, but the literature isn't clear on what the actual, the actual extent is for reducing your risk of injury, but all the evidence is there for increasing performance and just increasing the overall tolerance that your body can tolerate when you go put it through running. And it makes sense to just be stronger. Your, um, the structures will be able to tolerate more load, which means more running without injury. But uh, we can't make that blanket statement and say that strength training will reduce your risk of injury because it's a little bit more multifactorial. Well, from the people I've talked to and from what I've seen, it does seem like there is a correlation between doing some strength training and avoiding injuries. Uh, yeah. And I just if, think if having you were stronger to ask, muscles. Yeah. My opinion, like strength training will reduce your risk of injury for sure. If you do it properly. Um, but the actual, the way evidence is presented, the way we have to conduct um, studies, like the, the results haven't been there. Like there's um, it's very hard to, because people develop injuries for a multitude of reasons, it's very hard to have a really regimented design of a, um, of a research where we go through this method and then make the overall claim that strength training reduces the risk of injury. It's very, very hard to design. Okay. One other injury I thought about asking about, because I did have this problem before, every now and then it comes up a little bit with the IT band syndrome. Yeah. Uh, you go into that for a little bit? Or? Cool, because I can um, bust a few myths here as well, because ITB is um, very, uh, you can say, controversial at times. Um, so ITB friction syndrome is another one. I should probably explain. So um, on the side of your thigh, the very outer part of your thigh, there's a very thick fibrous um, fascia, which is your ITB, and it helps control um, the level of your hips and helps control where your hips and knee are when you're standing on one leg. And it crosses um, the outside of your knee and can sometimes um, cause a little bit of friction on its attachment point on the very outer side of the knee. And uh, this can be done if you have a certain running technique or if you have a spike in training load, which will lead to this ITB um, rubbing on itself, rubbing on the attachment point, which then can get quite irritable. And uh, there are a few reasons why people do develop ITB syndrome. I've seen a lot of people that have a very um, like a crossover pattern or a very um, narrow step width when they run that tends to put a lot of strain on the ITB. And if they have that particular style of running, which is like um, if someone looks like they're running on a tightrope, like a very narrow running style, or they cross over to the other side, if, if that makes sense. Um, if they have that particular running style and then they do a spike in training load, the combination of those two will most likely lead to things like shin splints or um, ITB friction syndrome. And so what I like to do is if someone does have ITB friction syndrome, I like to say, okay, what has your training been like the last couple of weeks? Has there been a spike in training? If there has, okay, let's have a look at how you're running. We have a look at them on a treadmill and we see what their style of running is like. If they do display a very narrow step width, then I like to just correct that or I'll say adjust their um, their running style just to widen their stance 
a little bit and that will help take a lot of strain off the ITV and sometimes that's all that's needed. But if uh, particularly in females, if they have uh, a hip drop or their their knees are kind of um, coming in together, when their knees kind of rub together when they run, if that's being elicited, then I would try and encourage a few um, cues to widen their knee window, we like to call it, and then strengthen them up, strengthen up the ITB, strengthen up the um, the hips and the knees and um, take it from there. But it would it would depend on the individual style of the runner. And why, why I like to bust a few myths is because people say if they have ITB friction syndrome that they need to release their ITB and they need to do it with massage balls and um, massages and foam rolling. A lot of people love foam rolling their ITB or love to hate it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but love to hate it. Yeah, love to hate it. It should be, um, it should be said that the ITB itself that fascia, you can't release it. You can't release it with massage. You can't release it with a massage ball. You can't release it with a foam roller because those fibers of the ITB are so thick and they're so fibrous and they've got no contractile properties. It's not like a muscle that lengthens and shortens. It's like a a rigid um, structure. And actually when they used to do releases like surgical releases and they used to get a scalpel and release the ITB. It used to blunten the scalpel. That's how thick and that's how fibrous this structure is. And so you can't, it's impossible to release once like just rolling over a foam roller. And what you might find benefit of instead is releasing the muscles around the ITB. So maybe the quads or maybe high up in the hip. Um, if you want to, if someone's listening and want to Google the TFL, that's one muscle that actually is quite pliable up higher in the hip and does connect to the ITB. So that could be um, where you can release. But when it comes to the evidence of ITB friction syndrome, it's all around strengthening the hips, strengthening the knee, uh, potentially doing some gait retraining. So potentially around increasing step width and then just having a really well-structured running program to avoid those spikes in injury, uh, those spikes in training. And you're usually good to go after that. All right. I've been hearing a lot more about the dynamic warm-up the last few years. Okay. Yeah. Anything you'd recommend in that as far as keeping any sort of injury relation there? Yeah, I, I can um, go through this as well. The research has shown that when it comes to warm-ups and when it comes to stretching, especially static stretching, that there is no link. Like if you were to do stretches before a run, it will do nothing to reduce your risk of injury. It will do nothing to increase your performance and it will do nothing to uh, enhance your recovery. So um, that, that there's some um, statements that a lot of people are just like, what the hell? But there's no... There's no correlation with any of those things. So what I like to do with a dynamic warm-up, um, what makes sense to me is you want to prepare your body for what you're about to put it through. That just makes sense to me. So um, if you wanted to go for a walk and then go into a slow jog and then go into your faster jog and then go into a run, then you're slowly preparing your body for what you want it to do. If you wanted to, if you have really, really rigid, say ankles or hips or something, and you feel quite good for stretching, I definitely recommend it. But um, the what I what I like to suggest to runners is try running without stretching. Try running with stretching, like beforehand. See if you feel better. And if you feel better from stretching and then going for a run, then definitely do it. I know I like to um, stretch my calves a little bit, stretch my uh, glutes, my hips a little bit, stretch my, um, my quads a little bit. And I'm only doing it for five, 10 seconds, but that's because I feel better going for a run after doing that. Um, I have also tried stretching for two minutes and five minutes and 10 minutes. And I just don't feel any difference than if I do a 30 second stretch or a 10 second stretch. So I just keep it 10 seconds. Um, but try it out yourself. And if you do feel better stretching beforehand, then definitely do it. But we can't convince ourselves that it's reducing our risk of injury or increasing our performance and um, yeah, aiding recovery. But like you said at the start around dynamic stretching, dynamic stretching is definitely better than static stretching. Um, But again, take it with face value and try one over the other. And if you feel better doing one than the other, then that's what I would recommend. 
That makes sense. I mean, I, I thought the dynamic stretching does make more sense to me because you get the legs moving and stuff like yeah. that. Just go out walking for your warm up. Yeah, warm-up and I'd also warm-up. suggest if you're uh, a if you like doing say hills or if you like doing um, sprint sessions, like if you're really high intense type of stretches. Uh, sorry, if you're doing really high intensity style of running, um, that's when I would focus more on a warm up. So you wouldn't want to just walk out the door and then do sprints. But if you're going out for a leisurely long run or something, then I wouldn't focus too heavily on the preparation phase. But if you're doing intervals, then um, I definitely want to slowly ease into that, that speed and then try to see if just some light stretches or some dynamic stretches might be implemented during your more intense sessions. That would seem more the time to do it. What about stretching after? Are you again? It's the exact. The answer is going to be the same. If it feels better for you, if it feels great for you, then do it. Um, try with, try without doing it, and whatever feels better. But it's not doing anything to aid recovery. It's not doing anything to aid muscle soreness the next day. Um, yeah, I do, I like to just walk around. I like to do some very very light stretches depending on the style of running that I do. If I do a very long run and my legs feel kind of heavy, I do like to walk around a little bit after that. But in most cases, I literally just stop and then have a shower. I don't really do much stretching. But um, yeah, it will just depend depend on the individual what what suits them. And what else? Any other suggestions for runners? Uh, oh, just I try to be a consistent runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, run regular one, anything else you'd uh, recommend to um, in regards to say injury prevention, I'd maybe say um, recognize the importance of sleep, recognize the importance of nutrition. Um, I know a lot of runners don't want to get injured and they want to do as best they can to avoid injury. If you do go through recognize that if there is a period of reduced quality of sleep that will increase your risk of injury. Uh, If there is high levels of stress that will increase your risk of injury. So what I usually recommend sometimes it's unavoidable. Let's just say you have a death in the family or you're getting a, a stressful like job promotion or you're moving house or you have a new baby, all these sort of things that are unavoidable. You can be experiencing high levels of stress and decreased levels of quality sleep in these certain circumstances, what I do is recognize um, I would definitely reduce the high intensity sessions. I definitely reduce your overall mileage um, just to avoid like a, a high mileage training while you're in these, this state of poor sleep and um, high levels of stress. And then once it all comes down and once you start getting happier again, once you start sleeping better, once you start feeling better about yourself, that's when you can uh, allow yourself to slowly start to work on the the high mileage and the high intensity sessions uh, because there is a, a, a firm correlation between those fluctuations and risk of injury. So I'd reckon, uh, recognize that. Um, yeah, the importance of strength training, the importance of cross training, all these sort of things are really good for injury prevention. Um, yeah, unless you want to dive in any, any more specific um, topics. No, I think we're good for now. Uh, maybe we get together another time and discuss a whole bunch of cross training. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I could talk about this all day, like I said beforehand, before we hit record. <laughs> all right well i will tell you you're the first one i've talked to from outside the united states i do but i ah, really remember. i can't remember talking to anybody else outside the united states uh, there you go i'm happy to so, have some diversity on your um on your podcast and we're extremely far away as well in australia especially melbourne australia it's um it's a very long hike 8 a.m where i'm at right now i'm almost 5 a 5 p.m and you're 8 a.m. the next day. Yeah, so. just starting the day. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for all the information and for being on podcast. Oh, wait, I did have a cool down question. You want to try it? Yeah, hit me. It's not, it's not injury related, so that's a good thing. At least it'd be easier to do this one if you don't get injured. But uh, mm-hmm. do you have a bucket list? Anything, any races or anything out there that's Ooh. on your bucket list you'd like to? I don't have it on my list, but like no running specific ones. I do want to do trails pretty much everywhere I go. I love trail running. 
and New Zealand is a big one on my to-do list and it's, it's pretty close to Australia, but they do yeah. have a lot of amazing trail runs and trail races there. I'd love to get there and do it. I have done a couple of marathons, uh, a couple of half marathons throughout Europe, but I'd love to get to North America to do a couple of trail runs there and a couple of half marathons there. Uh, nothing specific. I, I, don't have any of like the big marathons on my bucket list, but um, I love being out in nature. I love the hikes and I love um, trail runs. So that's what I'd usually go for. You don't need a big marathon. If your bucket list is trails, that's yeah. the way to go. To. Yeah. Uh, like I'll need to start adding to my, um, my medal tally. I can see you've got a lot of medals behind you. <laughs> uh, it took a few years to get them. It took yeah. a while. <laughs> I'll, I'll work this on this year slowed me down some but I, i've picked up some virtuals so that that's helped very <laughs> good can i just maybe just um mention if sure. uh, if other runners wanted to to dive onto learning more about how to make smarter training decisions then they can always um just go to the run smarter podcast and have a listen to some of my stuff but i do recommend that if you do search that podcast go back to episode one and listen to the first 10 episodes um they cover the principles to overcome any running injury and so they're the the 10 universal principles that every runner needs to know so i'll direct them there and then once you've listened to those first 10 episodes then you can just scroll through the feed i'm at like 75 episodes at the moment and just find ones that are really relevant for them and it could be around a specific type of injury or it could be around strength it could be around pain those sort of things I did actually go back. I haven't got through all 10 yet, but I was starting okay, to good. Uh, work my way through them. And then I'll probably pick it. I've been, uh, I basically, I've listened to your podcast before and I do pick and choose which ones seem to interest me uh, or might pertain to me when I, when I see them come out. Yeah. Fantastic. There's a lot of variety in there. So um, there'll be, there'll be some, or there'll be several episodes that can um, tailor to any runner out there. So um, yeah, highly recommended. Uh, was there any other information you wanted to share a uh, website or anything? Uh, no, I'm like, I do have websites and I'm pretty, um, I, I do like to have the podcast, the run smarter podcast as the first go-to for people to learn more about me, but I am quite active on Instagram. So it's the run smarter series is my handle. Um, I'll just direct people to those two just to avoid complications. And um, if they want to know more about me, then they can reach out personally, just send me a message. And um, if they want to just talk about running, then I'm more than happy to do that as well. All right. Great. Well, thanks again for being on and good luck with everything. Thanks very much, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Just a Runner's podcast. Um, please help promote the podcast by leaving a rating and review or share it with your friends. Thanks a lot.